church. This Bible reading is from John 14 and it's on page 1081 in your Bibles. Jesus comforts his disciples. Chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going here to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm the Father? I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I, say, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Everyone? It's good to be back. Let me just uh, get myself organised and let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we do thank you we can be here. And Lord, we thank you for these wonderful words of Scripture that give us such comfort and I pray Lord that you would comfort and assure us today of where we stand with you through the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray this in his name. Amen. On Monday, Kathy and I went and celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that but that's very nice. It wasn't a surprise that we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, it's worth saying. We were, uh, we've been enjoying life together. Um, but unlike past years, and uh, that photo was taken a couple of years ago, if you think I've aged a little bit, you never show your most recent photo. 
always show something a couple of years old, but not too old, so it's obvious. Um, normally, we've just gone out for dinner, or I've actually gone away a couple of times with Kath on our anniversary week. But this time, I said to Kath, I'd like to take our adult children and their spouses out for dinner, and we're in this beautiful stage where we can go out and you can have conversations, and uh, our two daughters live here in Sydney, uh, one's come back from London. In fact, that was taken at Kensington Palace in London a couple of years ago when we got to travel over there. And we went to a little French restaurant in Kirribilli. It was delightful Monday night. Uh, it was great food. And we had a very kind of small room, and by the end of the night, we were the only ones there. And we'd shared lots of stories about our memories of being in the family. I asked the kids, you know, what are your wonderful memories of being part of the family? And as we celebrated 30 years of marriage, I think such a key part of that uh, really for 27, 28 years, we've been more than just Kath and Bruce, it's been with the kids. And we retold some of our funniest memories and stories together and I got to the end of the night and it was just, it was just a beautiful night. And our two married daughters went home with their husbands and Phil who uh, is at home, he came home with us. And I said to Kath this week, I, I think as a parent and as a father, one of the most important things I want our kids to know is that they are loved members of our family. And I think for parents, it's one of the most important things we can do for our children is to raise them so that they are secure. And they're secure in being loved. And it's one of the most profound experiences. And I know for some of us here, that's not been your experience growing up. But for those who have opportunity, and I know for many here you will, I just pray that your kids will know that they are secure and they are loved by you. Now, why do I raise that this morning? Well, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we're in a new series uh, and we're going through the next section of John's Gospel, chapters 13 to 17. It's the upper room. One last night is what the series is called. And it is the last night Jesus has to talk to his disciples and John unlike the other three gospel writers really has an extended dialogue with us and he takes us right into the inner sanctum of Jesus with his disciples on the night before he's about to die and they're incredibly privileged words that we get to in a sense eavesdrop on as we find out what he says to them on their last night together. And two weeks ago, we saw John chapter 13, or John, a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 13. And this section starts with Jesus saying, having loved his disciples, he now wanted to love them to the end and show the full extent of his love. And so that sets the context for what is happening here. And at that moment, he washes their feet. Now he wants to give them some assurance and comfort. And I think one of the most profound things, not just for children, but for anyone can know whether we've had good or not so good experiences with our earthly family, is to be secure in the knowledge that we are loved by God and that we are his children and that eternity is secure. Whatever happens to us, we know we'll be with God in heaven in the end. And to have that sense of assurance and comfort is profoundly important to how we live as Christians you've got your Bibles there, do open up to John chapter 14 and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 4 as we think about 
Firstly, the divine comfort that Jesus wants to give to his disciples on this significant moment, the night before he's about to die. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going back there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now anyone who's been to a funeral here, I suspect most of us, will probably know that this passage is often read at funeral services. I've preached at many funerals, I've been to many funerals, it's often the passage spoken on. And there's a reason for that, because it's a passage that speaks about the certainty of the hope we have of life beyond the grave with God in heaven. And it starts with this famous word in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it's a famous word of comfort. Jesus has said to his disciples, he is about to go away. They haven't quite worked out all the full implications of that, but he has spoken numerous times of his death. And he knows what's about to happen. He tells them he's about to leave them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He knew very shortly he would be arrested and unjustly tried. He knows it will be Judas who has just left the room and that he'll be betrayed by him. He knows this will greatly distress his disciples and he didn't want the disciples to be worried about what would happen. So he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled and let me say, as you face the prospect of death, as you wonder, is there a God who loves me? He says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And he's speaking here of going away and it's euphemistic of his death, of coming back, his resurrection. And I take it his returning to take them to be with him is about eternal life in heaven and we know that from what follows in the conversation and one of the great questions that humanity has had really since the dawn of time is what actually happens to us when we die that's worth saying it's not a question we actually ask today in today's society much at all in fact people don't want to talk about death it's a taboo subject let alone what happens after we die it's interesting, if you go back to uh, ancient times, uh, they were filled with discussions and thoughts and teaching about what would happen. Uh, if you went back to the ancient Egyptians, they believed that death was just a doorway to another life. They mummified people so that you could take p things with you to help you when you arrived. And it's amazing when you go through the museums and see the sort of things they actually put in there with them, believing that they would somehow uh, go through to the next life. Uh, the ancient Greeks, I don't know if you've seen the movie Troy, uh, there's a scene there where they burn one of the warriors and you may note they put a coin in the eye. And the ancient Greeks believed that the dead lived. Uh, but to get the dead to the place, if I can say, of the dead, you had to put a coin on the eye or under the tongue 
to pay the ferryman Sharon. And that's an uh, ancient picture of Sharon there. And Sharon would take the departed across the river Styx to the underworld. That was what they believed. Uh, the ancient Romans believed that the dead lived in tombs and gave it the name Eternal Home and gave tombs which they would build offerings of food and wine. They believed the soul of a deceased person could only find peace when the physical body was buried or cremated in a proper manner and all ceremonies were conducted appropriately. The Jewish people had a belief in the afterlife as well. And as you read through the Old Testament, you realise there's a sort of a haziness to it. But as you progress, it speaks of a resurrection from the dead. And it's against this backdrop of ancient, if I can say, discussions, ideas about the afterlife... Jesus comes and speaks with a clarity and a simplicity, knowing that he's about to go, and he does it to assure his disciples that he will take them with them, with him. And you see, he wanted them to have a confidence and assurance, just as he wants us to. I suspect, though many of you have been to funerals, not many of you will have had to go and visit a person who is dying and speak to them. It's not a scary prospect, it's a very special moment that you have to sit with someone, knowing literally that in the next hours or days, they will be in the presence of God. And it is something of a privilege to be with a Christian person at that moment, as they know the hope and the reality of the gospel in Christ. And what I read to them, typically, is always this passage. There is nothing better or simpler to read with someone who knows they're about to meet God than this passage. And Jesus describes here that the reality of heaven is like a house. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I've told you because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he describes heaven here as a house. Now, to pick up the language of the famous Australian movie, The Castle, I mean, it's not just a house, it's a home. And that's why it's such a beautiful picture. Because houses are homes. Uh, They're where families live. They're where meaning is made. They're where relationships are forged. It's where security is experienced. It's where love is given. And so it's a beautiful image for heaven. And the image you have here is not just of a house, it's really a mansion that he's talking about. It's got many rooms, he says. In other words, everyone gets to fit in who trusts in me. And this is the assurance that Jesus wants the disciples to have, he wants us to have. That he has actually prepared a place. We call it heaven. And we can know You see, this is the Christian doctrine of assurance. It's one of the things that is distinct about the Christian faith. Is that the Bible teaches that you can know with assurance that you are part of God's family and that you have eternal life. And it defines the Christian faith over and against the religions of the world. The religions of the world basically say to people, try harder, work harder, do more, and maybe you'll make it. The message of the gospel is actually 
we can't do enough but Christ has done it all and we trust in him and the apostle John who wrote John's gospel also wrote some letters to the churches later on and in the first letter to the churches John uh, first John at the end he sums it up this way he says I write these things this is John chapter 5 verse 13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God in other words Jesus so that you may know that you have eternal life And he says something very similar at the end of John's Gospel, that these have been written so that you may know and have life in his name. And this is the wonderful thing about the message of the Christian faith and the Gospel. We can know that we have eternal life. And we can know that we are loved. And we can have assurance about where we're heading, whether we are fit and healthy and young, or whether our bodies are giving way and we're at the end of life and in hours we will meet God. Jesus gives us a clarity and a certainty that we can have an assurance about eternal life through him. The important question comes then, how do you get that assurance? How do you know? Well, it's because he is the unique king. Pick up the reading at verse 5. Thomas said to him, and I I love Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Thomas is this beautiful character who, you know, everyone else is kind of thinking, I'm not quite sure. And Thomas just puts it, Jesus, (laughs) um, actually, we don't know where you're going. Can you please explain? And Jesus answers, and it's one of these beautiful memorable verses Jesus said well actually I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me now if you really knew me Thomas you'll know my father as well from now on actually you do know him and you've seen him Philip said Lord show us the father and that'll be enough for us although it's hurting my head Jesus said don't you know me Philip even after I've been amongst you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father How can you say, show us the Father? Now in John's Gospels, there is a number of memorable truths. It's just redolent with verses worth memorising. First verse of chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Profound, chapter 3 verse 16. You'll often just see those verses highlighted in sports stadiums. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And John 14 verse 6, in the middle of this discussion, Jesus gives another pearl. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in answer to the question which Thomas raises, well, I don't know where you're going. Well, Jesus says, actually, I'm the way. And I'm the truth. And on the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And what he's saying here is he is the way to God. That's what it simply means. He is the way to heaven. And we come into relationship with God through Jesus. We have assurance of our eternal life through Jesus. Not through our works, but through him. And we have eternal life through him. To be a Christian is to be walking in the way of Jesus. It is to trust Jesus. It is to follow Jesus. 
He says, I am the truth. And in our post-everything age where truth has been completely relativized to what is true is, well, what's true for me? And please don't tell me otherwise. Jesus starkly challenges that notion by saying, actually, he is the truth. And what is true is not what I decide to be true or what I think might be true. It's actually what he says is true. It's what his word reveals is true. He is the truth. And it's the beautiful thing. Truth is not an abstract notion. It is actually contained in a person who reveals to us the truth of life. And finally, he says, I am the life. And when you come to him in faith and trust him, and when you understand the truth that is found in him and live according to it, there's life. And he fills our person with life by his spirit. And another memorable memory verse from John's Gospel is John chapter 10, verse 10. And he says, speaking of the devil, he comes to just steal and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so as we ask the question, and it's a great question, am I loved? Can I know? What assurance that actually it's in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. In other words, there's no other way. He's the unique an exclusive saviour of the world. There are not many paths to God. There's not, well, there's the Egyptian way or the Roman or the Greek or whatever. No, there is just one way. It's through Jesus. And I say that because one of the hallmarks of today's culture is the call to be inclusive. And there's some good things about that. We absolutely want to be inclusive of people. In recent days, I'm sure you're very aware of uh, the whole saga with Israel Folau and without commenting on... Um, how he's tried to portray the Christian faith, which I don't think has been helpful. He's been sacked by Rugby Australia because they've proclaimed they must be inclusive. Uh, The deep irony being they've just excluded someone because of their religious belief and practice to uphold their belief in inclusivity. Uh, There's a deep irony there. And Jesus says here that he's exclusive. Now, the paradox with him is he's incredibly inclusive and he challenged all the norms of the day to include all the people on the edges of society. But there's an exclusivity to him though that says actually if you want to know God, if you want to come to God, it's only through me. And think about the question in relationship to the other four world religions Uh, Because it's worth saying they also make exclusive claims. Islam makes absolutely exclusive claims that it is the unique revelation of God with Allah and there's only one way and it's through him. Uh, The Jewish faith says, well, it's unique. It's through the Torah, the practice of that, that you come to Yahweh. Buddhism says, well, actually, there's no God. You might have prophetic figures, but actually they're not God. There's just a nirvana that you travel towards as you practice the disciplines of Buddhism, which in the end they would say is a state of non-being, which I personally find incredibly depressing that at the end there's nothing. And Hinduism says, actually, no, you're all wrong. We're all a part of God. Now, I raise that because it's interesting when you look at the other options that the world offers 
and you speak to those who practice them and proclaim them, they all say, no, we're the right way. It's a very Western modern thing to say, well, they kind of all work out. And into that pantheon of options, Jesus says, actually, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, yes, there's a sharpness to that. But there's a comfort that comes with it. Because there's a clarity that says, actually, this is the way. Now, it would be worth saying, it would be arrogant for anyone to say that unless they could back it up in the way Jesus did. And the way he backed up his claim was to then go and die on the cross for the world, rise from the dead and defeat death, and live forevermore in heaven. And there has been no one in the history of the world who has ever done that. He is the unique saviour. There is no figure who has conquered death apart from Jesus. And that is why he says to us, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's wonderful news. Because of his death and resurrection and ascension to the throne, unlike every other religious leader in history, he has defeated our great enemy, which is death. And we can have a clarity, a certainty, a confidence, and an assurance that he is the doorway to heaven. And all we need to do is come to him and accept him as the way, the truth, and the life over our lives. He is our way. He is the truth that I live under. He is the one I follow. And he is the one I receive life from. Friends, is this not the most wonderful verse to memorize and just tuck away for days when you have doubts? We believe in him. We trust him. We follow him. And he says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And he will get us there. Well, the final section is slightly enigmatic. Let me come to it. Um, Philip has raised the question about not quite understanding. And he says in verse 10, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. And what you see here is the Trinity that we describe, that the Father and the Son, though independent persons, are one God. And the Father was working in the Son. And he says, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. They're one God, yet they're both Father and Son that operate together. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. In other words, if you want to understand my divinity, look at what I've done with my miracles. And then he says this profound word. He says, very truly I tell you, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for me anything in my name and I will do it. 
Now, I don't know if you've pondered this, but that's an astounding thing to tell his disciples. Actually, you're going to do greater things than me. And people have pondered, what does he mean by this? You'll do greater things than me. Uh, I've heard some people say it means we're going to do far more miracles. Um, Now, I don't know how that's actually possible because... I don't know if you can actually do greater miracles than what Jesus did. And I just want you to think practically about this. He kind of did them all. Nature miracles. He showed you complete control of the physical world we live in. Walked on water, calm storms. Spiritual world. Cast out demons, out a word. Physical healing, out a word. And then death itself. I mean, what else is there to do? He did it all. So when he says you're going to do greater works, I don't think it's that you're going to do greater miracles because I don't think you can do greater miracles. Uh, The key is in when he says, because I'm going to the Father. In other words, something's about to happen. There's going to be a change that takes place. Because I go to the Father. And I take it the change that took place is this. He went to the Father, he ascended, and then he poured out his Spirit. And what was different from before Jesus going to the Father and after Jesus going to the Father is this. Before he went to the Father and before the Spirit was poured out, the only way he could go and share the message of the gospel was walk around as one person. And he did that for three years. After he ascended to heaven and the Spirit is poured out, Well, all of his followers could, because we're filled with the presence of Jesus by his spirit, could go and take this message to the world. And friends, the greatest miracle is not someone being raised from the dead. The greatest miracle is actually someone coming to life in Christ and being spiritually transformed and receiving eternal life. And all of us can be a part of that, is what this is basically saying to us. And we are caught up in this great endeavour of taking the gospel to the world, which could never happen until he went to the Father and poured out his spirit. And he basically says to us, pray for great things to happen. I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's worth saying, getting a Mercedes will not glorify the Son. So don't just think this is about praying for whatever I want. It's about praying for the gospel to go out and God to be glorified through the Son being worshipped and lifted up. And that is not to say our needs are not important. Absolutely, we are embodied people. I was thinking about this as we're praying for people in need. Absolutely pray for that. And pray the Father is glorified in the Son through all that we do. But friends... The wonderful news is we have a message about a relationship that we can be 100% confident in through Christ. That we are on the way to heaven and that Jesus has prepared that place for us because he's the way, the truth and the life. And we get the opportunity to share that with the world. Not arrogantly, not rudely, but with a graciousness, with a gentleness, with a respectfulness. 
And as one preacher said, as one beggar speaking to another, where you can find food, we get to offer the world the hope and the love that we have in Christ. And that is incredible. Let's just stop and pray and just reflect on what we've learned this morning. I want to stop by asking the question, um, are you assured that God loves you and has a place for you in heaven as we finish? And I know for many of us, you will say, yes, I, I am confident in my salvation. But if you're not this morning, and if your time was to come today, you're sitting here wondering, would I actually be received into heaven or not? Jesus wants you to know, and he's saying, come to me and trust me and follow me and I will give you eternal life. John 6:47 simply says, he who believes or she who believes has eternal life. And we just need to reach out and take hold of Christ and trust in him as our way, as our truth, and receive his life. Let's pray. I'm going to leave a moment for those who would just like to do that, to receive Jesus as the way, the truth and the life in their lives this morning. And then I'll close in prayer in a minute. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this reality that God wants us to know that we are loved and that we have eternal life in Christ. For those here today who don't know with confidence or an assurance, I pray that they might know your spirit calling them to come and trust in Christ and to receive him as their way and truth and life. For all of us, fill our hearts with a joy and a peace and a confidence in believing in you. Let not our hearts be troubled. May we know with certainty and joy that Jesus is our way and our truth and our life eternally. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're